Good morning, everybody. So this is our last sermon on this series of, um, well, not the last sermon on Deuteronomy, the last sermon on what it means to love God and how to love God. Moses has, he's sitting, be, he's sitting before the entire nation of Israel as they're about to enter the promised land, the second generation, and he can't go in, but he's delivering this series of sermons, and this first um, set of sermons has really been focused on loving God, and the next set is a bunch of, it's going to be a repeat of all the laws that were given in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, it's kind of a condensed form, but this is the last message today on loving God, and we're going to do a few sermons on loving neighbor after this, and so we've looked at how to love God by teaching the next generation. We've looked at how to love God by avoiding false gods. Uh, we've looked at how to love God by understanding his discipline so that when hardships come at us in life, we don't automatically just blame God. We understand that they are things that he is using to grow us and mature us and, and strengthen us as individuals. And uh, last week, we looked at in loving God by enjoying his abundant blessing in our life lives and then and being grateful for those things. Um, so today, the final sermon, How to Love God, is focused on developing the habit and discipline and lifestyle of repentance. Martin, when we're reminded, there we go, when we're reminded of our past sins, we have a tendency to, to feel bad, but that's not Moses' intent. What he's trying to do here, he's trying to show that God's grace towards them, his love for them, all of the amazing things that he has done for them has not been because of their own goodness. It's been because of the wickedness of the other nations. So God is about to give them this land flowing with milk and honey. But he's reminding them, listen, you haven't done anything to get you to this point. Now, again, that can kind of sound bad, but if you think about it, it's if, if, you, if you believe that good things happen to you as a consequence of grace and love, um, that takes the burden off of you, right? So he's wanting to strengthen their sense of God's love as they're about to go into this land. And so in this state of obligation because of grace, not obligation out of guilt or obligation out of a desire to um, be good enough to deserve this, out of this obligation of, of, that's generated by mercy, the, the text begins, what does the Lord require of you? So mercy does, love does, um, does create a sense of obligation. And so here is what God wants of them because of his love. So he unfolds the passage. And I'm going to kind of walk through it just here uh, real quick. Because um, the construction of the text is very helpful to understanding the, the purpose and meaning of it. It begins, once again, fear God, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, this repeated thing that we've seen. Keep his commandments, keep his statutes. Moses keeps reemphasizing these things. Uh, and then makes this statement that everything on this earth and everything in heaven, it belongs to God. It belongs to God. And so... Um, then he says, and yet, God chose you, Israel, out of all the nations of the earth. God loved you, Israel, out of all the nations of the earth. And again, it's, it generates this sense of 
obligation. There, there wasn't anything that they did to bring them into this state of, of privilege. Nothing that they did. And then he says, then there's the central message of the text, cut out your hard-heartedness. Quit being stubborn. This word is stiffen the neck. You've stiffened your neck, Israel, for the last 40 years. You've had stiff necks. Now, stiff neck, you know, if you think of the idea of somebody with a stiff neck or yourself with a stiff neck, you're not turning any other direction. You're focused on, on where you want to go, and your straight-ahead focus prevents you from seeing or going any other direction. So God wants them to soften so that they no longer have stiff necks, but that they have necks that are willing to turn and see what God is trying to show them and how God is trying to lead them. So to repent of this stubbornness would mean a, a soft heart and a, and a nimble neck. But what is it they need to repent from? Well, if we think about the story uh, to this point, Israel needed to repent from their unbelief that God actually wanted to do good for them. They, they couldn't believe that God was really going to provide the food and water that they needed. They couldn't believe that God was really going to overthrow these, these more powerful foreign nations that they were, God was wanting to drive out. They couldn't believe that God was actually able to do these things. So they need to repent of this unbelief, and they need to repent in the confidence they had in their own understanding. You know, there's a, a Proverbs, uh, I think it's in chapter 3, lean not on your own understanding. And it, we often get in trouble when we lean on our own understanding and don't seek after the understanding that God has for us. And so again, the stiff neck perspective of here's what I see, here's what I, here's what I understand, this is the way I see things, and I'm going to make decisions on the basis of that. And I'm not going to be open to any other input or wisdom that, that God might have for me. So they need to repent of that. They need to repent of the, the rebellion then that came as a consequence of their unbelief. Their unbelief in God's ability and God's promises, their overbelief in their own understanding. So they had these faith tenets that they were holding on to, which then led to speech and actions that were rebellious. Right? Rebellion and sin always comes out of, of a lack of faith and an overconfidence in self. So they need to repent from those things. But what do they need to repent towards? If those were the things that they needed to stop, what do they need to repent towards and do? Because to repent is to change direction. Leave one way for another way. Well, what is that other way? Well, the passage continues. Yahweh God is God of gods and, lords of, and Lord of lords. God is Yahweh... And he's using the specific name here because the term God pops up all over the place in this passage. Yahweh, the personal name of the God of Israel, he is the great. Yahweh is the mighty. Yahweh is the awesome, all-powerful God. He is, he is wanting them to, he is emphasizing the fact that, that there is no one else like Yahweh that there is no God like Yahweh. Yahweh owns all things, all nations of the earth. Everything is in his possession. And then he says he does not take bribes and he is not, not partial. Now, it seems like God is partial to Israel. And in some ways he is. 
what this passage is saying is that, you know, Israel was a nation chosen by God for his purposes, not because of any goodness within, within them themselves. It was because he needed a nation from whom to eventually spring forth the Messiah. He had to pick a nation. Well, he, he just happened to pick, as a consequence of his love and mercy, this nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the nation of Israel that came from, came from Jacob. All right? It wasn't because of anything they did, did wrong or they did <clears throat> right. Excuse me. All right, so even though he has shown grace and mercy to Israel, he's not going to treat them any different than he does other nations in regard to how they orient themselves to him uh, and in regard to the consequence that they're going to have on their own actions. So he executes justice for the orphan and the widow. God loves the sojourner. And so then he gives them this command, so love the sojourner. And so they are to, to stop in their stubbornness, and they are to love the sojourner. And then it concludes, uh, fear God, once again, fear God, love God, hold him tight. He is your praise, which means that anything you have to, to be joyous about, anything that you have to be celebratory about, God is really at the center of that, and God should be at the center of that. And so, again, it's directing them to love God, to hold him close, to celebrate and worship and enjoy him. And that's the end of the passage there. And so, if we are seeing that the central message of this, because a lot of this is repeat, the new thing out of this is soften your hearts, soften your necks, believe me, follow me, and so what does it mean, what, what passage does this, what, what insights does this passage have then into our repentance? Well, it starts and ends, and so sometimes biblical authors will construct their texts in a certain manner, it's called a chiasm, all right, and so it begins and ends the same way, and it works towards a center. Well, so this, this passage begins with this emphasis on loving and holding God tight and fearing God, and it ends with the same message. And at the center, we see this emphasis on cutting out your hard hearts, stopping to be stubborn. And so we see that repentance begins by recognizing who God is. Our view of God shapes our ability to repent. We are to meditate and understand his choosing of us, so God's grace and God's mercy towards us, not because of anything that we've done right and not because of anything that we've done wrong. Again, it's because of his love and mercy. So if we can grow in our understanding of God's love and mercy, if we can grow in our understanding of his character, his character is that he looks after those who are vulnerable. He looks after those who are vulnerable. So if we are people that want to elevate and lift ourselves up to be in this place of non-vulnerability, okay, we need to recognize because of God's character, he's not necessarily looking for that. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And then if we recognize his power, his power in creating and owning all things, his power in all of the deeds that they've seen him do. So growing in our understanding of who God is helps us have a softened heart, a more softened heart, and, a, and a, more, a less stiff neck. But why the instruction 
And so again, that's, that's a, a, a large emphasis in this passage. Grow in our understanding of who God is, and that will grow in our ability to repent. But why the instruction to love the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner? They seem out of place. Because, again, like I said, um, after this series of sermons on how to love God, there is going to be, I mean, it's, I think it goes through chapter 26 or 27. So we're at chapter 10. So the bulk of the, of the book is a repeat of a lot of the laws that he's already covered. Okay, this is Deutero, not Deuteronomy, so Deuteronomos, second law. Right, so the second law is going to be given. Those are all of the laws. Those are the, that's the place where all of these specific commands um, really f- fall into place contextually. But why this command here, love the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner? It seems out of place. But we have to ask the question, what does that command have to do with repenting and having a soft heart and not being stubborn. So here, here are my thoughts. It's human, the tendency for humanity is to, at best, ignore the vulnerable and at worst, oppress and exploit them. That's that is the, the tendency of human nature and of human societies. At best, we will ignore the vulnerable. At worst, we will oppress and exploit them. Just think of all the, the, the proverbs. You know, the, the poor man has no br- friends and has no brother. Right? Nobody pays attention to them. They are the refugees with no country or people. They are the widows whose husbands have died or have left them with burdens to take care of on their own. They are the orphans with no parents who are left vulnerable, leading oftentimes to exploitation. They are mouths to feed. They are people to house. They are people to clothe, and they are people to defend. And generally, like I said, the human tendency is to say, I already have enough burdens. Why should I add to the ones that I have by taking care of these people that are vulnerable? And so again, why here? Why in this passage? Well, Israel has had an overly exalted view of itself. They've had an arrogant view of themselves. And they've had a small view of God. We can see that in this passage. We can see that throughout the entire history of the Pentateuch. Their view of God was weak. Their view of self was significant. And that's what leads to arrogance. That's what leads to the stiff neck. I'm confident in myself. I'm I'm not so confident in God. And that arrogance, that arrogance, the desire to hold yourself up above others, leads to the mistreatment of vulnerable people. And so I think that it's in, it's in this passage because our treatment of vulnerable people reveals where our hearts are at. And if our, if, our, if our treatment of people, if our treatment of vulnerable people demonstrates care and concern and intentionality and love, it's probably because we have a soft heart. If our treatment of vulnerable people is at best ignoring them, 
or at worst exploiting them, then it probably shows that our hearts are hard and we, have, we don't have compassion. And so I think that within here we see, within this passage and within this idea, we see three habits or disciplines for a lifestyle of repentance. We need to renew our minds on God's actions in history, okay, and in our lives. It's, it's significant that Christianity is based in history. There's reality. There's truth. Nations have been affected by the work of God in the nation of Israel and in the church. There's, there's history. God has stepped into our human history and into human lives, and he has revealed himself in such a way that calls all nations of the world to pay attention. But we also need to renew our minds in what has God done for us? What has God done for us as individuals? And if at the minimum, he's provided food, clothing, and shelter out of what he has. If God owns everything, right, we can't claim to own it as human beings. It's here. It's here when we come into the world. It was here. All right, so something is providing. God is providing for us. If that was all that we saw of God in his work toward us. That is what, that's enough, the scriptures say, for us to turn to him and to acknowledge that we are obligated to him. As Moses has repeatedly said, we need to renew our minds in these things because as humanity, we are fundamentally forgetful. And so that takes individual efforts, you know, Psalms 1, blessed is the man who meditates on the law of God day and night. He's going to be a prosperous and happy person. So on an individual basis, we should have a discipline or habit of mind renewal, but on a community basis. So the nation of Israel had all these feasts, they had all these celebrations that were intended to continue to point them to and remember God, who he was and what he's done for them. We as a church, we have a weekly Lord's Supper meeting that was instituted by, by the Lord God, Jesus Christ, uh, prior to his ascension. So we have Lord's Supper, we, we have weekly meetings, we have time in the Word, time in prayer together, these kinds of things. It's one of the reasons why it's so important to stay a part of the community, because the community is all helping us remind us of who God is and what he's done. So that's the first thing, like Moses is doing here, renew our mind on who God is for all humanity and for us as individuals. Second thing, we need to renew our minds in our brokenness. Now, when I say this, I'm not saying that we need to enter into a state of self-loathing all the time, right? Because that's, that's not the gospel either. Yes, we are made in the image of God, which is great. All of the positive things about us as human beings comes from the fact that we are made in the image of God. But we are also corrupt. Romans chapter 3, half the first half of the chapter, uh, here are all the things that are bad about us. Our mouths are like asps, poisonous asps. Our hearts are open and empty and decaying graves. All right, so they're all the good that we could be, and we're, and we're also all the bad that we could be. And it's just reality. Again, it's not self-loathing, it's reality. I think it can lead into self-loathing, 
without the gospel. But the gospel gives us some help in this, to renew our minds in our brokenness, um, and in which, we, which would then mean uh, in our desire to overcome and to be something other than broken. That's what leads us to the gospel. Uh, David Zoll, um, he's an author. He's got, he's got a po- podcast, I guess. I've never listened to his podcast. Um, David Zoll, he wrote a book called Low Anthropology. So anthropology is, is your, your view of, your study of human beings, people. Low anthropology, the unlikely key to a gracious view of others and yourself. Right? So the tendency right, is, is for, for us to grow our self-esteem. Right, and that's the, the philosophy behind of our, a lot of our efforts with children as well. we got to build up and strengthen their self-esteem. Um, he actually says that this is the wrong way to go about it. If you want your kids to be strong and healthy and have a positive view of themselves and a gracious and positive view of other people, which would then lead to being a, a good friend, uh, you need to have a lower view of yourself. You need to have a lower view of yourself. If you have a lower view of yourself... He argues that it it makes you more open to God's unmerited love. And not a lower view of yourself in terms of like, um, well, let me me go through and explain what he's saying, but then I'm going to describe what this means to have a low anthropology. So if we have a low view of ourselves, it opens us up to God's love because we recognize that we need it. The second thing is that then it enables us to experience grace more consistently. So if this was our habit of thinking about ourselves, then I'm going to have a habit of recognizing, you know, I am always in need of God's love and grace and mercy. And if we have a low view of ourselves that's realistic, then it's also going to probably lead to having a, a low view of others so that our expectations with, of them aren't very high either. So we're able to to view others with more compassion. If we recognize that we are always in need of God's grace, then everybody else is probably in need of God's grace as well. He says there are three pillars to a low anthropology. This uh, this guy is actually going to be speaking at Hope Community Church Wednesday night the 16th. If you want to go, it's free. Um, Three pillars of a low anthropology. One... We all have limitations. We all have limitations. We will fall short at some point in everything that we try to do because we have limitations. We tend to get frustrated with ourselves when we get to the point where those limitations are affecting us or if somebody else's limitations uh, are also affecting us. So we get frustrated when we come face-to-face with our own or others limitations why because we don't want to have limitations all right we want to keep moving forward with our stiff necks undeterred by the reality that we have limitations other people have limitations second we all possess doubleness we all possess doubleness so we're limited and we are doubled (laughs) what he means by this is um, the things that we would like to do, we don't. The things that we would like to not do, 
We do. It's Paul's conundrum in Romans chapter 7, if you're familiar with that. We may have the best intentions, but we're going to fail at them. I would love to be this way and to do these things, but I never can seem to do it. Or my goodness, I would like to stop being this way, but I can't. That's doubleness. That's doubleness. We all have it. The third thing, we are all self-centered. We're self-centered. I am going to do things to help myself out that's going to cause hurt to you. That's just reality. That's not going to change. Hopefully in the Lord, it gets better. <laughs> right? That's the promise out of Romans chapter 8, that with the power of the Holy Spirit that comes into us through belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the text says our bodies will grow more and more alive, which means that we will grow more and more centered on others and less on ourselves. But it's never going to be completely gone. And we recognize, see, I think like self-loathing comes when we see ourselves acting in a way that hurts other people just for our own benefit. I mean, that, that I think is probably the hardest one in all of this. Because when we're exposed to our self-centeredness, it's really embarrassing. And we can't handle that. And so we isolate, right? Or we, get, or we just get angry and become worse and worse and worse. But if we recognize that, you know, yeah, I'm self-centered. And are able to acknowledge that. Not hide it, not to just feel guilty and bad about it, but actually to acknowledge it and say, this is, a, this is what it means to be a human being then I'm going to be a little bit less hard on myself because I'm open to the grace of God and his forgiveness, and I'm going to be less hard on others when they, when they hurt me. It's just the way things are. It's just the way things are. You know, the, the, this last weekend, Saturday night, Ann and I, were we had something in the evening, and we were just going to grab some, some food uh, at Chipotle on, on the way to our event. And uh, the one in Uptown, it just always seems to have a long line that moves really slow. And so we're standing there. It is, I mean, that line is going nowhere. And I just keep looking at the clock. And I'm like, there's like four or five or six people back there. How is it that the line is not moving? And so eventually I just throw my hands up. And I said, I am not going to reward incompetence. And we went out the door. And, and Anna, because Anna is just naturally empathetic, she just lays into me. George, you have no idea what those workers are doing. You don't know their circumstances. It's hard to run a restaurant. So she, her brother owns restaurants, okay? And she's, she's recently had opportunity to just spend some time with him and hear his frustrations with the restaurant business. And so she lists all these reasons, and they're good reasons. I'm like, they should have it all taken care of. It's ridiculous. So we went to Jersey Mike's, got subs. They were quick. They were tasty, and I felt good about that. And, uh, but in prepping for this message, and then read, and, and so I, I, could, I saw the connection in the text with vulnerability, helping the vulnerable, exalting your view of God, decreasing your view of yourself, 
and I thought of this book because of, of this conference coming up. And I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a look at that book. And I just started reading it. And that, and that situation came to mind. And I was like, oh, regardless of why that line was moving so slow, I didn't need to have an arrogant attitude towards it. You know, and, it, and, it, and, it, and so I just, I've, I've kind of been thinking about, I didn't talk to Anna about it. She's watching online. She's not feeling really well. Um, I, didn't I haven't talked with her about it yet. But, but over the course of this week, it, it just has kind of sunk in more. Like, I, I could have had a just, I mean, we could have left still. I didn't need to, to say what I said or think what I thought. We could have just, you know, this isn't moving fast enough for us. We've got to do something else. But why that arrogant posture? And so it actually, it actually created this, I, you know, I, I don't know how to describe this fully, but, you know, you can kind of tell that your capacities grow. I felt my capacity grow for compassion this week. Um, I hope it sticks. It's not naturally, because naturally I am uh, limited, I'm doubled, and I am self-centered. You know, but in the grace of God, that's my desire. So that's the second thing. So the first thing, renew our minds on God's actions in history and in our lives. Second thing, renew our minds in our brokenness. Right? Now, I was thankful for Anna's uh, correction of me. I'm not sure I would have, I'm not sure it would have came to mind if she hadn't corrected me. I'm not sure I would have thought about it. It's the value of correction. It's the value of community. So we need to renew our minds and our brokenness, and sometimes that comes from other people. In fact, I would say that most of the time it probably does because we're not able to see it in and of ourselves. That's the, again, that's the point of, that's why you get into Colossians and Ephesians, and the first thing it says, you know, walk in the light and, and then, you know, correct each other. <laughs> and the third thing, intentionally engage loving the vulnerable. So renew our minds in who God is and what he's done in our lives, renew our minds and our brokenness, and develop a habit of loving the vulnerable. Again, the Proverbs assumes that the vulnerable are at best ignored, at worst oppressed. It takes intention to love the vulnerable. It should be a lifestyle. This is, you know, last week we talked about God giving us the capacity and the energy to, to develop and grow our wealth. One of the reasons why he does that with his people is that so that we can then intentionally engage the vulnerable without fear about, we don't have to fear about ourselves not having enough. God has says, I will overwhelm you with blessing. In fact, in the book of Malachi, where he's exhorting Israel for their lack of paying their tithes, God says, test me, Israel, test me. Give the money the way that you're supposed to, and I will shower you with blessings, test me. So we don't have to fear not having enough if we have a lifestyle of engaging and helping those who are vulnerable. This is the reason why we, you know, as early on as we could, we set up Twin Cities Ministries is so that we would have a, a structural piece in the life of our community where those who are able to either help with their money or their time and, and you know, participation in house church this is the reason why we did this, is so that we'd have a structural piece for, for people to participate in that would create some discipline in their lives towards helping the vulnerable, which are, you know, for, in regard to Twin Cities Ministries, uh, men and women and children who, uh, whose lives have been overcome by 
uh, by crime or substance abuse. You know, it's not doesn't solve all the problems in the world, but it's it's some. So those are that's what we've got to that's what you know we we need to have that as a structural piece in our lives. I think that's what he's saying. Have a discipline of helping the vulnerable. And again, we're able to do this because we see we see God stepping into our lives. We see God who owns everything in heaven and heaven and, and everything on earth. He's in need of nothing, but he chose to love. He chose to love. And in recognition of his choice to love, we're called to choose to love. And that's what gives us the strength uh, to pursue this discipline of repentance is because um, it's always in pursuit of, of God's greater things for us. Let me pray. Uh, God, thank you for this, this beautiful passage. Uh, thank you for all of what we've learned so far in the first third of Deuteronomy here about what it means to, to remember you and to love you and, and, and to love others. And so, God, we uh, continue to pray that you will strengthen us as a church uh, to these ends, that we would, that we would um, be known for our, our love toward you, that we would be known for our, our love towards each other as a church community and for our love in the world, especially those, God, who are vulnerable. In your son's name we pray. Amen.